Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. Injection utilizes the new Deep Six standard for more big game penetration than ever before. Learn more about the injection today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Editor Christian Byrne. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and we're glad to be with you today. We have a really, really information-packed show today. And for all you whitetail hunters, this is an episode you are absolutely not going to want to miss. We have as our guest Mr. Kip Adams. Kip is a certified wildlife biologist, and he is the director of outreach and education for the Quality Deer Management Association. Kip, welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Well, thank you, Christian. I'm, I'm glad to be here. You know, every year, uh, your organization, the QDMA, puts out a report uh, called the Whitetail Report, uh, aptly enough. And so the 2013 Whitetail Report was released uh, back in January. I think you guys released that uh, right around the first half of January. And uh, you're the lead author of this year's Whitetail Report. For those who aren't familiar with the report that the QDMA puts out, it's probably the most comprehensive document that you're going to find anywhere each year. This year's report is 68 pages and it's full of information from state deer harvests to information about diseases, management, uh, habitat, uh, you name it, Kip. I mean, lots of great stuff here. So good good job on the report and uh, just give me a little background on the report and, and what you guys are looking to do by putting this out every year. Well, thank you, Krishna. I'm glad you like it. Uh, our goal in that, and, and we have done this for the past five years now, is that we are in a, a unique ability to, to capture all of this information that's going on around the United States relating you know, to deer hunting and deer management and deer research. So we put it all together to make it in a very usable format for hunters and landowners and deer managers and wildlife professionals. The whole idea is to just make this a very helpful and useful document whether you just want to see how your state compares to, to other states regarding deer harvest or if you want to see what the, the hottest trends going on uh, in the country are. So it's, it's very, uh, we like to think of it as hard-hitting, short, you know, uh, informational articles that you can just pick this up and, and, and very quickly glean the type of information you're looking for, but then keep it on your desk, you know, as a reference uh, just to see how you compare year to year. Absolutely. And for those who are listening today, even, you know, we're going to jump right into this information because there's a lot to get to. But for those of you who are listening, um, you can get a copy of the QDMA's 2013 Whitetail Report on their website. Just go to QDMA.org and you can find a downloadable PDF of the report right there. So you can put that right on your desktop call this up on your computer anytime you want and uh, very colorful lots of charts maps graphs uh, information is unbelievable whether you're interested like you said Kip of seeing how your own state is doing in comparison to your neighboring states or if you're planning a trip or, or looking at the possibility of going somewhere far away to chase whitetails I mean this is a resource that you really can't go wrong by uh, taking advantage of this data so let's take a look at the first thing that uh, I wanted to talk about Kip that's the trend in um, age structure of the bucks that we're killing out there as, as deer hunters obviously there's been a big 
big move in the last uh, you know 10 20 years towards trying to you know pass up some of our younger bucks states have implemented a variety of things such as antler restrictions to try to protect some of our younger bucks what did you guys see in this year's report in in, in terms of uh, the kind of bucks that people are harvesting and maybe some trends in terms of where you know which states are doing a better job than others in terms of getting an older age class in their buck structure well, one of the things we do with this report is we do an, an, a state and provincial wildlife agency survey every year. So we ask all the state agencies and provincial agencies information on, you know, a number of bucks and antler this year that are harvested and the age structure of those so that we can put together these charts. And, and two of the graphs that we include are the percentage of the antlered buck harvest that were only one and a half years old. And what's interesting is, you know, 20 years ago that number was very high. Actually, you know, it was over 60%, and that has been a straight-line decline over the last two decades until now. And actually, uh, actually, the harvest data we're talking about here is the 2011 season because we write this during fall of 2012, so it's the most recent data that's available, uh, you know, at the time of the writing. And then it was 39% of all the bucks killed were only one and a half years old. So think of just over a third of the bucks are one and a half. You know, down from over 60% 20 years ago. And it's because people are doing a better job protecting those one-and-a-half-year-old bucks and moving them into older age classes. So uh, the lowest ever reported was two years ago, and that was 38%. So we're essentially are at rock bottom with that, which is a very positive trend for, for deer management and deer hunting, you know, and a really bright future for us. So basically we're killing, you know, in, in, in essentially in the time that we've had the statistics and people have really been looking at it, we're killing fewer year-and-a-half-old bucks now than we really ever have, at least, uh, in the, like I said, in the time that we can go back and really analyze the data. That's correct, yep. And, and that's a combination. I'd say, you know, obviously the things that the states have done in terms of antler restrictions or spread-type uh, type rules, that's played a big part and I think probably equally, if not more so, is that rules like that, along with educational efforts on the part of, um, you know, groups such as the QDMA, as well as just a growing awareness in the outdoor media, you know, television programs and magazines like Peterson's Bowhunting, there's just kind of been a shift, a slow but steady shift, I think, in the mindset of the hunter, because ultimately it's it's the bow hunter, the gun hunter, or those who are, you know, releasing the arrows, squeezing the triggers, and uh, as that shift takes place as well, though, you know, that along with regulations are both combining to kind of uh, accomplish that goal, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yep, that's certainly that. Our hunters today are far more knowledgeable than we have ever been before on deer biology and management and benefits of passing those younger bucks. So, uh, so it's it's a nice thing to see them working with their their agencies and um, being engaged in what's happening. Then doing a really good job protecting yearling bucks in, in nearly every state. So, just to give you a little factoid here, I'm looking at some some of your breakout boxes in the report here. Um, Looks like your top five states with the highest harvest of three-and-a-half-year-old and older bucks. So these are your states, and actually some surprising states. You know, I'd, I'd think of states like, um, 
you know, I, I'd, I'd guess like Iowa or Illinois. And I actually have Mississippi as number one. In 2011, seven, 70% of the bucks three, that are killed by hunters, seven, uh, three and a half and older. Arkansas, number two, 67%. Louisiana, three at 64 Texas at 60% and Oklahoma 5 at 51%. So, And maybe the reason some of those more popular Midwestern states are on there is because the average two-and-a-half-year-old buck in Iowa is going to be kind of a whopper by most people's standards. So maybe quite a few two-and-a-half-year-olds are getting killed every year in places like that. That could be, Christian. And part of it is not every state actually collects age data, and, and Iowa is one that does not. So, okay. uh, so they're not able to, to let us know percentages of those different age classes. But... Uh, one thing that's interesting about Mississippi, as you know, they led the country and 70% of their bucks killed or at least three and a half. They also added on their survey that 40% of their bucks killed are at least four and a half. Wow. Can you imagine hunting at a statewide average, four out of ten bucks killed there are at least four and a half years old. That, that's just absolutely amazing. So they're doing a tremendous job getting deer into older age classes, and, man, hunters are really reaping the benefits. And... um and you know there uh, there are some great deer that come out of Mississippi, but of course it's not known as a as a super you know uh, on a national level. Maybe that's a reputation that'll grow, but I think that also calls up a point that people are are starting to embrace around the country. And what I mean is, you know, that a four and a half year old buck in Mississippi, on average. Um, you know, might not score quite what a four and a half year old buck in Iowa would score on average, but people are starting to sort of adjust their expectations. And as people set their sights on harvesting mature animals and focusing more, you know, on the the body structure and just the maturity of the animal and and focusing less on the score, you find that, uh, you know, what you're, what you're shooting for is a representation of an, of a mature animal in the area where you're hunting, you know, and not necessarily comparing that with, you know, what you might have five states away. No, that's right. And obviously Mississippi has, uh, you know, the, the major river coming down through there and, and they have some of the most fertile soil in the country along that. So the, the zones in Mississippi that are along the river, they actually kill some tremendous, tremendous deer. So uh, like any state, or like most any state, they have uh, you know varied soil quality throughout it, and some places are much better than the others. But uh, you'd be really amazed at some of the, the four-year-old deer coming out of along the river system there, uh, the size and the, and the antler quality. It's, it's absolutely tremendous. I bet you I would. Just throw a few few more numbers out before we look at the um, next topic. Top five states in 2011 buck harvest per square mile. Mississippi actually ranked fifth in the nation with 2.7 bucks killed per square mile. So in addition to having the oldest age of bucks, they were also in the top five for the for the number of bucks killed you know per square mile, which I thought was really interesting. You look at some of the other states. Pennsylvania ranked fourth just above Mississippi at 2.8, West Virginia 3.2 came in at third, Maryland at 3.4 came in second, and South Carolina at 3.6 came first. South Carolina doesn't surprise me. They have obviously very, very liberal hunting regulations down there, and uh, so I'm not surprised to see that, but it does kind of surprise me that, you know, Mississippi isn't that far off with a much older, you know, age structure on their deer. Um, Moving on. Uh... Top threats, you said, uh, you asked each agency uh, in the states and provinces, what are their biggest challenges or threats to managing deer? And you got some interesting responses on that. 
Yeah, we uh, we asked them, you know, hey, what's really impacting your abilities? Because as hunters, you know, we want to be able to help the agencies, and, and as our agency, you know, we, we want them to engage with the hunters to work together on this. So, uh, and you know, sometimes we're just not understanding each other with what the real problems are. So, uh, we wanted it from their perspective and said, hey, you know, what really is impacting your ability to, you know, to give us what we want? So, and by far, the top threat identified by the states was that uh, hunter or land access. You know, there's just so much land today that is off limits to hunting through development, through, you know, firearm restrictions, et cetera, that, that tremendously impacts our, our state's ability to hunt deer, to, to manage deer, particularly in, in urban and suburban areas. Uh, you know, for the first time uh, in our nation's history now, more people in the U.S. live in urban or suburban areas versus rural areas. So we're, we're farther removed from places we hunt. We have more land that we can't hunt on. But, of course, you know, Christian, deer do extremely well in, you know, in suburbia and, and in and among human population centers. So uh, it, uh, that is a huge threat. And one thing, by identifying this and letting hunters see this, and it's, it's, it provides an opportunity for agencies to work with hunters and other policymakers to, to help get at some of that problem and be able to get hunters onto some of those lands, whether they are in suburbia or, in some cases, you know, it can still be rural, um, whether it's a posting problem or, or whatever. But to be able to fix it, we have to identify it first. So uh, this, this, is, this is very helpful. But that was by far the number one thing. Uh, some of the other top ones were uh, landscape and habitat changes. Um, part of that is this whole urbanization thing. You know, some of this is just loss of habitat. Some of it is our forests are just maturing, and uh, mature forests just don't, just don't support nearly as many deer as younger forests, you know, from a cover perspective or for food perspective. But uh, the rest of the top five ended up being political influences, uh, loss of hunters, and disease. And uh, we can talk about disease here a little more today because last year was certainly a bad year for disease in the United States. Absolutely. I mean, that. Uh, I want to start with EHD. Uh, that outbreak that we had of uh, epizootic hemorrhagic disease this past summer uh, into the fall was, you know, ridiculous. The I was personally affected in a very negative way, as I know many of the hunters listening are. The area where I go each year in East Central Illinois was really hit hard by EHD this last year. Lost uh, quite a number of deer. Obviously, it's very difficult to determine the absolute percentage, but between the severe drought, which of course exacerbated the EHD's impact, but between the drought that really hammered the corn and soybean crop uh, in that area, uh, along with the EHD, was a one-two punch. Hunting conditions were extremely challenging this past year, and uh, unfortunately, uh, and I'll let you address this, EHD and the outbreak that we had in the summer of 2012 is an issue that not only hurt us this past fall, but it's going to continue to have a negative impact on the, the hunting, uh, particularly in terms of mature bucks, for several years. So it certainly can, and uh, it likely will go down as the worst year ever for hemorrhagic disease uh, this past year. Um, you can look at a map of, of states that were impacted. It, it truly is from Florida north to, to Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and then all the way out to Montana and Utah. And, and there are a few states uh, that, that didn't get it, but essentially it's every state uh, you know, in between there. So lots and lots of whitetails. And the Midwest was hit especially hard. Um, Missouri, they knew they lost uh, six to 10,000 deer. Uh, Michigan confirmed over 14,000 deer. Uh, you know, most of those in the southern part of the 
the state. And, you know, it's, it's a strange disease. And, you know, say it's the most common disease that deer get. And, uh, you know, there's nothing we can do about it as managers because it's a virus, so there's no vaccine. There's, there's you know, there's none, nothing we can do. Years of drought, it's much worse. And, obviously, last year set the stage to be a terrible year for it. But uh, it's so localized. And right where you are, you may have no loss of deer on, on your property. And two miles down the road or five miles down the road, you know, there can be deer just tipping over everywhere. So uh, it's not a uniform thing, and so it makes it very difficult for hunters to deal with and, and agencies to deal with. But uh, overall, last year was a really, really bad year. And, um, you know, and the reason that I say it's going to unfortunately impact us for years is obviously, like you said, in any given area, you know, it's difficult to say how many, you know, deer, uh, clearly on a national scale, you know, unfortunately we're well in excess of 100,000 deer you know, who knows how high the number truly is. Um, but in those areas that are hit really hard, you know, let's just say for the sake of discussion that EHD took out 20% or 30% of the deer. And uh, assuming that that's kind of across the board for age class, well, if you lose 20 or 30 or even more percent of a given, you know, two and a half year old bucks, three and a half year old bucks, four and a half year old bucks, you're looking at a period of four to five years, and that assumes that we don't have another significant outbreak in that time before you've pushed a whole new crop of uh, animals into those age classes, Kip. Yeah, and, and there are certainly some areas you know that could have lost the percentages that you're talking about. Uh, across the board, uh, it wouldn't be that high, but um, you know we often think of our state agencies, how they lay hunting seasons out and talk about densities. But you know what? They're always on the unit basis or a deer management unit or a zone basis. And and that's correct. That's how they have to do it. But as hunters, we don't hunt at that level. You know, we hunt at the property level. So and if our property lost 30% of the deer, you know, for many hunters, it doesn't matter what happened five miles down the road or in the rest of the unit because I'm not impacted by that. So right. there certainly are hunters that are have been tremendously impacted from a density end from you know from a buck age structure end and uh yeah my my heart you know goes out to them because it's it may be a little lean for for a few years let's move on to another sort of piece of bad news on the disease front is uh, chronic wasting disease of course the uh you know, once CWD is in an area, it doesn't really go away. So we continue to add states. You never really pull states or provinces off this list, so it just continues to grow. And unfortunately, uh, in the last year, there were three big states that uh, had the arrival of CWD uh, heralded. And uh, I don't know if herald is the right word. It's not something you'd be too excited about. But Pennsylvania, Iowa, and Texas, so three of the very biggest whitetail states, have had to uh, begin the process of coping with CWD in the past year. Give give a little background on the, the status of CWD and, and what QDMA sort of sees as the you know, as the ongoing uh, impact of this disease and how it's going to impact us as deer hunters. Yeah, uh, we added those three states that you said uh, in 2012, and that brings a list of 22 states now uh, that have it, uh, in addition to two Canadian provinces and, uh, and South Korea. Actually, uh, an elk from Canada was shipped to South Korea, so that's, that's how they ended up with it. But uh, of the 22 states in the U.S., you couldn't have handpicked three, you know, more key deer or major deer states than Texas, Iowa, and Pennsylvania. So uh, fortunately in Texas, it's uh, some deer in extreme uh, western Texas. Those were wild deer, free-ranging deer, and uh, 
CWD has been in New Mexico, so it, that's not a big surprise there because it was right, just came across the border. But in Iowa and Pennsylvania, all of those deer were, were captive deer, you know, deer related specifically to deer farms, which seems to be the trend. You know, in a lot of these places that end up with CWD, it, it's uh, con- confirmed from a deer in a farm or, or near some of that movement. And uh, that's, that's certainly not a good deal. But uh, from a hunting end, once you have it, you're right, you're not going to get rid of it. So what really hurts is, you know, deer can give that disease to other deer to kill other deer. But from a hunter perspective, our state agencies or our management agencies end up, you know, putting millions of dollars into disease monitoring, disease uh, surveillance. So essentially that's all that darn money that could be spent on habitat work, could be spent on hunter recruitment programs, could be spent on hunter access programs, that all ends up being spent on this disease uh, monitoring and surveillance, which is necessary, but it's just such a sad thing that, you know, uh, it could be money much better spent for us as hunters. Uh, helping our wildlife populations and our hunting opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, of course, now in Pennsylvania, we just confirmed uh, wild free-ranging deer, too. So uh, we've got it both ways. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, there's not a lot, unfortunately, in this report that uh, gave me a lot of encouragement as a Pennsylvanian. I looked at uh, (laughs) next thing I wanted to talk to you about, really interesting statistics here. You guys have broken down the number of hunters in each state and uh, divided that by land land area of each state to kind of come up with the hunters per square mile. Before we get into this, um, just real briefly, um, hunter numbers have shown, you know, a little uptick in the last couple of years. Touch on that briefly, and then we'll get into some of these state-by-state numbers. Yeah, this whole increase in hunter numbers, that is very, very positive because uh, we essentially had a 30-year decline in hunter numbers. You know, it was just trending down and down. Well, it looks like we've turned that around now. And for the last uh, few years, it actually, uh, we're increasing hunter numbers, which is a real positive thing for the future of hunting. And uh, in many states, have increased numbers for consecutive years, which is very good. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. That's a very positive sign for the future of hunting because that obviously those hunter numbers bring us influence with regard to management policies and programs. But it also is that's the backbone of all of our wildlife management programs. You know, that supports our agencies, that supports all the research, all the habitat work, and all, not just for game species, but for all the non-game species as well. So all wildlife benefits as hunter numbers increase, so uh, so that's a really good sign for us. Absolutely, absolutely. And just to give folks who are listening a little perspective, I'm looking at the chart in your report here. Looks like around the uh, mid-70s, hunter numbers in the U.S. peaked somewhere around 17 million give or take, and then from the mid-70s all the way until about 2006, we had sort of a slow, steady erosion from 17 million down to about 13 million, give or take, so we lost about 4 million hunters during that time, and it looks like from about 2006 through 2011, we've seen a reversal of that trend back up to about... uh, 13 million hunters, give or take. So we've picked up maybe a million in the last five to seven years. As you said, that's the first uh, turn in the flow of that line, you know, into a positive direction in several decades. So, um, yeah, it's a great news for the hunting community. And uh, do you have any idea, Kip, what the reason for that would be? Yeah, part of it is uh, a lot of these families of field programs uh, implemented, you know, by the, the National Wild Turkey Federation and 
and National Shooting Sports Foundation, et cetera, where, you know, they are getting uh, youngsters more involved, uh, the apprentice licenses, the youth licenses, all of this where now you don't have to wait until you're, you know, you're 12 or, or older to be able to hunt. So uh, capitalizing on some of those and getting hunters started younger, which is very good. And, and part of it is we're just seeing some more people hunting because of additional hunter access programs or, you know, the whole locavore movement where people now want to, to eat the meat that they harvest locally. So, so there's lots of things playing into this. But uh, so fortunately, that's not just one thing that's turned it around. There's many pieces playing into more hunters, which is obviously provides a lot more stability for the future. Uh, and it's a good thing. Absolutely. And of course, for, for you, uh, your position with the QDMA, that's a great thing. Uh, for me, as the editor of a bow hunting magazine, love to see more hunters, more potential customers for the industry. It's great. And then I put on my selfish hunter cap, Kip, and I'm like, wait a second here. That's not a great thing. You know, there's days, especially in Pennsylvania, and this is where I come back to this hunter density. Man, there's days I wish everyone else would just uh, maybe go uh, play golf or something like that. Because I look at the uh, hunter density uh, per square mile of hunters. Pennsylvania looks like has the dubious distinction because we do have uh, slightly over a million hunters in the state. We've got 20.3 hunters per square mile, which it looks like we rank... I think we even beat, yeah, we even beat New Jersey. They've only got 10.8. Pennsylvania has more hunters per square mile than any other state in the country. So I'm crowded in Pennsylvania, man. <laughs> it it certainly you, can be crowded some days. And, uh, and I know as well, uh, being a Pennsylvania native, there's a lot of a lot of fellow hunters who, who don't like that number. Um, but, yeah, we have to take our, our selfish hat off there and realize that those are all, you know, good for, for the sport that we love. And, and there's lots of data out of Penn State and, and the Pennsylvania Game Commission showing that, you know, there's only a handful of days a year where, you know, the majority of those hunters are actually in the woods. So uh, fortunately today we have much longer deer seasons and, and other hunting seasons than we've had in the past. So it helps spread some of that pressure out anyway. But uh, I'll tell you, I've hunted, you know, from, from Florida to, to New Hampshire and in a few of the Midwestern states, and, and uh, there was never a doubt that there are far more hunters in the woods in Pennsylvania than any of those other states. So when we put this graph together and you start looking at how Pennsylvania compares, it's no wonder it feels like, uh, you know, there's a little more crowding here. Because uh, oh, certainly uh, a and lot more hunters on the landscape here than, than in many states. And the thing we discussed, you know, before we started the show today is that number is just taking the total number of hunters in each state and dividing it by the total land area. So when you look at some of these numbers for the Northeast, um, the actual density, you know, is potentially would be even higher if you were able to exclude all the urban areas, the housing developments, the pavement. Your hunter densities in the east are going to be far, far higher than they will be in the west because, of course, the west has so much uh, open open space. So you take a state like Pennsylvania, again, comes in uh, with the highest hunter density at 20.3 hunters per square mile and compare that with a state like Wyoming where the hunter density is 1.4 hunters per square mile. So, man, I want to go to Wyoming and hunt. It's going to be a lot, a lot less uh, chance of seeing another guy out there while I'm uh, doing my thing. But uh, and then of course that sort of the Midwest would fall somewhere in the middle. Illinois uh, at 8.8 uh, 
uh, hunters per square mile. Indiana, 10.8. Iowa, which makes uh, uh, non-resident licenses much more difficult to acquire than those two states I just mentioned at only four and a half hunters per square mile. So definitely a, a big diversity of uh, hunting pressure. And obviously this is not a, a perfect method of, of uh, measuring hunter pressure, but it's a pretty good indicator. And I think that you see a lot of correlation here between hunter densities and the reputations that a lot of these states have in terms of trophy potential. And so you're definitely going to see uh, a direct relationship between lower uh, uh, hunter densities and uh, a higher number of uh, trophy caliber bucks in a lot of these states. It's interesting information anyway. I, I, I think a lot of people who are listening would enjoy seeing some of this data. Listen, Kip, I know your time's limited. We probably got about another five or ten minutes tops. Let's hit a couple more things before I let you go. Um, you actually analyzed hunter success by state in this chart. What did you guys see in terms of hunter success? How successful is the average deer hunter out there, and, and uh, who's leading the pack when it comes uh, in filling tags? This is a really neat uh, statistic because, um, you know, many states have, have liberal bag limits, and, you know, and the idea, a lot of people think, gosh, you know, if you can kill two or three or five antlerless deer, we're going to decimate our deer herd. So we said, hey, let's find out really how many hunters truly tag a deer each year. And what we found was across the country, we asked every state, okay, what percentage of your hunters kill a deer? One. And then what percentage take two? What percentage take three or more to get to get a gain of feel? And actually it turned out that about half of the hunters in the U.S. are successful in killing a deer a year, or, you know, at least a deer. So it came out to 48% of all hunters shot at least one deer. And uh, so that actually was a little higher than I thought. So some states do really well with that. For instance, uh, in Tennessee, they led the country. 83% of their hunters killed at least one deer. That's a lot. Eight of ten, that is really high. So uh, in South Carolina, you talked earlier about all the bucks they kill, and, and partly because they have an un, unlimited bag limit. You know, you can kill all the bucks you want all year, and, and much of that state has, you know, a four- or five-month deer season. So uh, you can shoot a lot of bucks. But anyway, in South Carolina, uh, a third of their hunters shot at least three deer a year. So uh, yeah, that's saw... a lot of venison going on the table. So South Carolina actually came, and they came in second. And that doesn't surprise me who came in first. Those who are listening, a few of you might guess uh, what state would have the highest percentage of hunters that killed three deer or more is actually New Jersey at 34%. Uh, I guess if you're not from the Northeast, that might not come to mind. But if you live in the Northeast like I do, that doesn't surprise you at all. New Jersey, the suburban areas in New Jersey are absolutely filthy with deer. And uh, the state is very liberal about giving antlerless tags to the people who are able to hunt in those areas so i know lots of guys in new jersey that are hunting in little two and three acre woodlots around neighborhoods and they are definitely uh are killing their share of deer and, and filling the freezer and helping out with uh with some whitetail control in, in those areas so uh, that was the highest and then again south carolina at 33 uh, percent looks like louisiana was next at 20 and most of the uh, to also Georgia at 20% too. And then a lot of the states, as you'd imagine, real low, like Pennsylvania, for instance, right across the Delaware River from New Jersey, only 2% of our hunters are killing three or more deer. So definitely a, a wide variety of uh, uh, statistics here influenced a lot by not only deer numbers but state regulations. But uh, I agree with you. I'm a little surprised that nearly half of the deer hunters are, are getting deer uh, because... 
I wouldn't think that that's necessarily the case. You know, particularly in a state like Pennsylvania. Although I see Pennsylvania, no, they did provide. They're only saying twenty six percent. So again, another reason to be depressed about being here in Pennsylvania. We're like uh, well below the national average, Kip. Yeah, for that part. At least there's a lot of good things going on in our state, though. We uh, we're fortunate. I, I mean, I guess to have that many hunters. So we certainly kill a pile of deer and. Uh, and our buck age structure is, is much better than it's been in the past. So, uh, um, yeah, some of these statistics here uh, don't paint all that favorable picture of uh, of the Keystone State. But uh, overall, things are certainly a lot better than they've been in the past, and, and pretty good. Oh, we're killing some big. We're killing a lot more bigger deer, and like you said, our raw numbers are great. If you just look at our at our raw totals for for deer harvest and hunter numbers. We're right up near the top, and obviously, because we have so many more hunters, you know, the percentage of successful hunters, uh, the hunter density, things like that are, are going to be, you know, further down in the ranking. So it's definitely some trade-offs there, but no, no doubt Pennsylvania is uh, has a tremendous hunting culture and uh, is, like you say, it's a cornerstone state for uh for the deer hunting community in in uh, North America. Listen, I know your time's limited now. You've, you've got to get on another call. Let me hit you with one more thing and then we'll let you get out the door you mentioned something about uh agricultural practices before we got started you said uh qdma thought it was really significant that we had the largest corn crop in u.s history planted in i guess would that be 2011 or 2012 kip and what does that mean i'm not sure exactly why you saw the big significance for for deer other than you know food on the ground Yep, actually it was that it was for 2012, so it was last year. And actually it was the largest uh, corn crop in 75 years. So 75 years ago we actually planted more than last year. But uh, anyway, farmers planted over 96 million acres of corn last year. And uh, due in large part, we had a, you know, a quick green up, a warm spring, so farmers were in the fields really early. But uh, the thing that's interesting about this is, you know, where we are in the Northeast, we think of more corn as more food as being a really good thing. But what we caution people is, you know, you really need to take a look at what state you're in because if you're in an area that has limited food and you suddenly have more corn, that's a really good thing. However, there's much of the Midwest where food is not the limiting thing. You know, it's more cover that's limited. So in many of those additional acres planted in the Midwest, tore up cover, which was extremely limiting, planted more corn, which wasn't. So in a lot of cases, those white cell populations suffered from that. But, uh, what I tell people is it's, this is absolutely amazing. And if you think of, we know the Midwest plants more corn than, than some places, but take a, think of a guy from Pennsylvania to take a look at. Iowa planted more corn than anybody in the country. They planted 14 million acres last year. So you think, man, that is a lot. But just for a little perspective, the entire northeastern U.S., the entire northeast planted just over 4 million acres. So Iowa alone plants more than more than more, more than, than three times. times as much, yeah, as the entire northeastern U.S. So that just gives you a little perspective on you know just the truly amount of food that's there. Uh, Illinois is a second with 13 million. So uh, anyway, you know we know that they plant a lot, but that really puts it into perspective just how much. It, it and it's, it's very similar with soybean acreage and as well so uh it's no wonder you know those deer have so much food and lots of nutrition and uh so and, and obviously the deer herd show it wow yeah that's amazing kip uh really appreciate uh you bringing that to our attention and this this uh report i wish we had more time because 68 pages is an awful lot to go through in a little over half an hour but hopefully we've wet the listener's appetite and uh 
you know to be able to download a copy of this at no cost through your website you can you can also purchase printed copies if you'd like to have one at qdma.org but it's a great resource if you're out there listening today you're an avid whitetail hunter this is definitely the kind of thing I'd throw on my my desktop and uh, he'd actually enjoy just reading through it but uh, lots of facts and figures and charts and uh, great stuff Kip I really appreciate you being with us today uh, appreciate all that you're doing to educate deer hunters throughout uh, North America and I uh, wish you and the QDMA uh, the best for a very successful uh, year in 2013 well thank you Christian I appreciate it I've enjoyed being with you today and uh, yeah I've Thank you for uh, the, the good wishes. Uh, the same to you, and uh, yeah, you know how to spend a day in the field uh, hunting again sometime soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Kip. It sounds great. I hope we're able to make it happen. Have a good day, Christian. You too. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on newsstands now. <laughs>